What did you eat for breakfast? Prague. You are listening to the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Print Company, located in Fort Worth, Texas. You may remember I talked to Justin back in episode 5 about the merch industry and his passion for music and working with bands and artists. Do you need help with your merch? Skinny Armadillo specializes in quality apparel decoration, including screen printing, embroidery, design, digital on-demand printing, web stores, fulfillment, and more. Contact Skinny Armadillo now to find out how you can grow your merch sales, discover the current printing technologies, or to get a quote. Call 817-546-1430 or visit theskinnyarmadillo.com. That's 817-546-1430 or visit theskinnyarmadillo.com. Make sure you stay up to date with the podcast by signing up to the mailing list at musiconyourownterms.com. There you will find show notes to every episode and links to other resources. Welcome to episode 26 of the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. I really appreciate you tuning in and listening to the episodes. And I really hope you get something out of listening to all these artists and entrepreneurs and how they succeed. This time out, I'm talking with Mike Abdel from Fate's Warning, Aquanet, and his own solo material. Mike graciously took time out to talk about touring with Fate's Warning, recording with Ray Alda on his new solo album, and also how he makes a living as a musician. We also delve into subjects such as philosophy, and I also get to nerd out a little bit with Mike on guitar-related stuff. So with that, let's get into it. Welcome to episode 26 of the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. I am uh, joined today by Mike Abdel, who plays with uh, Fate's Warning, Ray Elder, and his own band, and also Aquanet. Um, thank you very much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, um, Simon. So, um, so for people not into Prague, like I am, hugely into Prague, um, wonder if you could give a bit of a, um, a rundown of you know, what, what you do, you know, in those bands and maybe how you make your living as a musician, assuming you, you're a hundred percent making a living as a musician, which I believe you are. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So on the Prague side of things, um, even, uh, I guess, you know, Fate's Warning has, has, uh, can be classified as progressive music and has older progressive music, but, um, the band doesn't even necessarily consider it self Prague at this point you know um <laughs> wow. but yeah just because i mean if you think about and i'm not speaking for them but if you just look at how what defines progressive music and how it's evolved um it's become sort of a sound and sort of a genre um mm -hmm. and you know it's so hard everybody classifies music in one way or another but i've always sure. thought of progressive music as like the next thing like it's right. on the, the oh, cusp yeah. of the cusp of what's acceptable. Um, sure. A absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, they definitely were that um, earlier on, you know, they were mm -hmm. kind of doing new different things um, and they still are, but it's not necessarily in like, you know, the, the progressive technical aspect of, of it, you know? So sure. um, that's just my perspective. Uh, so, right. yeah, I mean, that's maybe the only progressive band that i'm i'm affiliated with um so ray ray alder's uh record is not prog at all it's a rock record for sure 
Um, I mean, it has prog. I mean, if if you want to classify the prog sound, it it does have those leanings. Um, I mean, absolutely killer record though. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, and I mean that's that goes right to the point. It's like a very personalized thing, you know, how you define things. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I know, like we didn't necessarily set out to write a prog record, but I know that. Um, you know, just based on where we're coming from, I'm sure that's bound to like seep into there somehow, you know? So, sure. <laughs> um, and then, uh, Aquanet is a cover band, an eighties cover band mm-hmm. that I play with, um, regionally at home here. And, um, that's a totally different thing. And so going to the next part of your question, that's primarily how I make my living is playing live. Okay. Um, and most right. of my gigs out of the year are with Aquanet when I'm home. So, Right. I mean, we do like a hundred gigs a year, and then if Fates mm-hmm. is going out, I'm obviously going with them. Um, sure. So, yeah, between that and um, I teach lessons, you know, one day a week. I have a few students, but it's really, I don't really do that to make money. It's more like I, I really like academia, and I like working mm-hmm. with with uh, with students. So that kind of fills like that need for me. It's not really a, sure. a, like a financial. So like Big, passing passing the torch on kind of thing. Yeah, and just yeah. J- just um, you know, connecting with people. I, that that's a really cool thing. Mm. You can you can get so isolated doing this stuff. Oh, sure. So, it's nice to just like connect with people with music, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and um so you have a um a degree in music and mathematics as well? Yes. Is that correct? Yep. That's cool. So, you know, I, I first want to go back and, see, you know, how did you get into music in the first place? What, what Did you have a musical family or did, did you stumble, stumble upon like a, a, a guitar player that you really liked or, you know, how did that come about? Yeah, I, well, I have a musical family and my grandfather and on my mother's side, my grandfather, my Pepe and um, his family were extremely musical. Like they made their living earlier on as musicians um mm-hmm. not, not exclusively but a good chunk of it you know um my pepe always said that he put his kids through college playing music you know um nice yeah yeah and uh his his uh my my great aunt his sister was very talented uh organist um my pepe was mm-hmm. a drummer my grandfather okay. we're, we're french canadian so we say pepe um right but uh <laughs> uh and then um, my his wife, my my uh, meme, my grandmother, my mother's mom, um, she was uh, a beautiful singer, um, and so she was a pianist and a singer. Um, so yeah, they were super musical. And my mom and dad had a little bit of that going on, but they didn't really. It was they just kind of dabbled in it, and they could play a little bit, you know. But um, sure. and then I got into it, um, and they. I think it was just like my mom started me on that and then you know it kind of stuck it's not like it was you know ingrained in me or anything it was just like mm. because of her parents it was just natural that you know i take sure. some piano lessons and then one thing leads to another you know sure absolutely yeah i can relate i mean my grandfather was a played piano i mean i'm a graphic designer and he was a, he was a, an artist painter photographer um but he he played uh you know, piano for, for just the enjoyment. And that was always there in my grandparents' house. Uh, again, my parents, my dad dabbled in, in, in keyboards, but he, you know, he has no rhythm. So that's a running joke, but, um, you know, my, my mom's side of the family is the art family. And, uh, you know, I definitely feel that there's, uh, you know, it's, it's in your DNA, whether you, you know, whether you kind of in, embrace it or not, whether you use those kind of inherent, you know, beginnings of skills, so yeah, that's re- that's really cool. Of course, yeah. Um, so what what made you want to play guitar specifically? Was there like a teacher that? that no. So I was that, playing. Or? I was in middle school and I was playing drums, and okay. I wanted to start a band. And mm-hmm. all my friends played drums. See now, all my friends play guitar, <laughs> but back then they all played drums. So, um, it was like, all right, well, I'm gonna, you know, experiment with some other things. Maybe I'll try guitar because I wanted to mm-hmm. start a band and then sure that's just how it was like a necessity thing like we needed guitar players so I just decided that I would try it um, so go moving forward a little bit I mean how did you get the gig with Fates how did that come about um 
Well, so Fate's Warning, it was like 2013. Um, they had a tour coming up and I think like they knew that, that Frank Oresti wasn't going to be touring. Um, right. And so they, I think they had some other people actually lined up to fill in for him, but one, one thing or another fell through. Um, and so this was like maybe six weeks out from the tour, maybe that I got a call from my friend, Jeremy Saffer, who's a, who's a photographer mm -hmm. and he, he's a mutual friend of, uh, myself and Jim Atheos. Um, okay. and he was like, do you, do you want to, Fate's Warning is looking for a, uh, a, uh, a guitar player to tour. And I remember, you know, texting back to him. He texted me, not called. I texted back. I was like, the Fate's Warning? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, a, you know, one of those double takes. And sure. Yeah, I was like all in, man. I mean, you know, I love the band and uh, the music. And, you know, I'm, I had just uh, left Last Chance to Reason. It was a, like yep. a okay. technical metal band I was in. And so I, mm -hmm. I had done my second solo record. I left Last Chance to Reason. Um, and so I wasn't looking to necessarily, you know, tour for the sake of touring. I was right. It had to be the right situation and, and be the right music. And that's still how I feel, you know? Um, and that was just oh, like, yeah, it was just like a beautiful thing. Like when that happened, I was like, man, this is, this feels so right. You know, I'm, I'm all in. Yep. So, and I was very fortunate, you know, I auditioned, I was very fortunate to get asked to, to fill that spot. That's that's some uh, six or six weeks. Did, had you already started like messing around the songs beforehand, like learning riffs here and there, you know, just for the fun of it? Or did you start, you know, not knowing how to play anything and, and you had six weeks to learn, you know, some complex stuff? Yeah, I, I didn't. Um, I didn't know how to play any of the songs. I was familiar with some of them, but I never like actually played mm. them. Um so aside from the song I auditioned with, um, you know, the rest of it, I was just kind of learning it from scratch, but they were super helpful. You know, like Jim was, he had, you know, some, some isolated guitars and, and things like that. Just, he made mm. it as easy for me as he could. I mean, it was super helpful, right. you know, and, and right. it worked out. So with your, his, with your um, background in, in mathematics, I mean, is there a process you use specifically to like learn something that quickly? I mean, how do you go about um, getting really down to, um, you know, like segmenting parts, or do you just jam along with it for a while, or how how do, how's your process there? Um, I'm not sure. You know, maybe in some way it's related to mathematics. Just the you know the mindset and the. Maybe it's an organ organizational thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. But as far as like the, you know, the actual mathematics of what I had studied and have my degree in, I mean, you know, I, that doesn't really. I don't think it applies at all. But I think just the organization is important. Um, mm. The number one thing I did was I charted everything out, so I wrote all the music out. Um, and for me personally everyone learns differently but for me that's the easiest sure, way absolutely. to learn um, yeah you know because by the time you figure it out and then it goes onto the paper um you've digested it in ways that jamming along you know doesn't really get you you know mm -hmm. um and then you go back and read it and like when once i have my charts i'll, I'll play along to the recording and i'll be reading them as i play and it'll help me with just being accurate and making sure everything is where it should be. And then okay. once I feel good, I'll take the charts away and then I just start doing that from memory. And usually mm. um, I can kind of memorize what the chart looked like. And some of my other okay. friends who, who do this um, on the same way, uh, they say they can, you know, kind of like remember what the chart looks like in their mind as they're memorizing mm. it. And that, that goes a long way with um, yeah. making sure all the details are there, I think. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, do you ever experiment with, um, not so much charts, but visualization of, um, if you've ever had any type of uh, stage fright before or not, but like when I, so uh, you, you've played Jewel a couple of times with Aquanet, right? Yeah. In Manchester. Yep. Yeah. So, so my, um, the band I was in, in New Hampshire, um, 
I don't know if you've heard of Angry Octopus at all. I have. Um, but yeah. oh, okay. So I, yeah. I was in that band for for like ten months or so, and uh, our first gig with me playing the guitar was um, actually opening up for uh, oh, what was the 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 nineties band? Um, they're touring now too. Tantric. So we, we oh, opened cool. up for Tantric and yeah, uh, and I'd done all the memorization to try and get over my stage fright a little bit. And, but I was memorizing the stage backwards. So I came on like opposite to where the bass player was. And um, <laughs> no, that, that was a really good gig, but yeah, yeah, no, I find it really beneficial to start memorizing stuff. Um, so I don't know if you, you've experimented with like where your fingers are on a particular passage and playing it in your mind and then maybe going to sleep and then the next morning feels a little easier to play. I don't know if you've tried that, but well, um, I've experimented a little bit. Yeah, what you're talking about is really powerful. Um, so the example you just gave, I haven't done exactly that, but some of the things that I've done, I think, fall into the same category as that. Um, and I actually tell this to my students. Um, uh, you know... It, Sometimes during the day, you know, if you're if you're not able to practice um, and you, you know that you only have a finite amount of time to practice, uh, if when you go to sit down to play or practice something, if that's the first time that you started thinking about it that day, um, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of mental warming up you have to do and you're not going to be necessarily mm. as effective. So even if during the day, um, you know, you're. Uh, at a, at a job or something where you have, you know, the, the ability to have free thought, you know, you don't have to concentrate on something in particular. Um, mm -hmm. If you're running through certain ideas in your mind, if you're maybe visualizing the fretboard or you're thinking about what it feels like to do certain things on the instrument, then when you actually go to do it, I think it makes a big difference. Um, you're just ready to try it. You've premeditated it and then you can get your hands dirty you know mm -hmm. it's it's almost like it's familiar to you um right not physically but mentally you're ready you've been preparing all day for it so uh mm. yeah that's that's a really cool thing so um i do that myself i try and stay mentally present in what i'm doing throughout the day but i also always keep my mind on what it is i'm i'm either writing or playing or whatever um but as far as the visual, the visualization, uh, you can do it in so many different ways and you can, you can adapt it to whatever you're trying to accomplish. Um, mm. so late, lately I've been, I've been doing it, um, to try and play tighter with the drummers I play with. Uh, so I'm not looking at the drummer when I'm playing. And even if I am, it's not as clear a vision as if I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm closing my eyes, I'm playing, but I'm, picturing what they're doing i know what they're going to play i know what they're playing um and even if i don't like i can visualize them playing in my mm. mind and then i can visualize myself playing as tightly as possible with what they're sure. doing um and i've experienced gains with that you know and playing more accurately with the drummers and just is using that as a technique to bring you know we might be pretty far apart on the stage but if you if you do that, you're, you're right next to each other. You know, it's, it's, right, right. it's really powerful stuff. So awesome. So, uh, continuing with the kind of, uh, the, the nerdy guitar stuff for a bit. Um, yeah. just before we came on, I showed you my, my, uh, carving guitar. So you have, um, a few dip switches on your, on, uh, next to your tone knobs. Yes. What are they for? Um, so there are two that split the coils cause I, my guitar has mm -hmm. two humbuckers. Okay. Um, yeah, so I have two carvings, and they're both set up the same way. They're both uh, two humbucking guitars, and two of the dip switches split the coils. Um, and the third one uh, is a phase switch. Um, okay. Yeah, so I don't use the phase switch often, to be honest with you. Um, but the the single coils are just so um, so useful. And the carving pickups, I use a stock, not, not the newer... Um, Kiesel ones, but the older carbon pickups, the you know the right. the double pole piece ones. Um, I use those. I love the way they sound, and they sound amazing split too. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's what those sure are for. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, I've got a. I think I've got a coil split on this. So. No, yours yeah, is a seven a string, right? Thin. 
Yeah, this is, yeah, it's the telly shape. So I'm not even sure they make that that shape anymore. They have that more bulkier telly shape now. Mm-hmm. Um, but excellent. Um, and what are you primarily using for amps? Well, in I my... see you got a Bogner and a Messer in the background. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got I'm in my studio here, um, and I've been playing live. I mean, th- these amps that I have, I've been using on records and live for probably the better part of 15 years um mm-hmm. and like i said i do you know 100 plus shows a year so i'm always experimenting and trying different things but um to answer your question like these i've kind of been using these over the years but to answer your question right now um in my studio here i'm using an angle steve morse amp okay and i'm really happy with the sounds i'm getting out of that for for what i do um, and then live at home, I'm using the, the angle kind of stays in the studio. It's set up just ready to go. Yeah. I don't really take it out. Um, cause it gets used daily here. And then when I'm gigging, I use a 5152. Um, and then when I'm out with fates, I use, uh, uh, dual or triple rectifiers. And that's just what you rent. Presumably you're not uh, shipping that stuff. You're all renting it from a like a you know a company out wherever you're playing yeah yeah that's correct either mesa sometimes it's funny how that works sometimes mesa provides them but um you still have to uh you know rent them through a company that will process them like put them in in road cases for you and deliver them and all this stuff and then you rent the road cases it's it's funny it it amounts to renting them but (laughs) yeah but yeah um i don't own those amps is to answer your right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, what what other things that people might not realize? Um, you know, a, a traveling musician might have to go through for for equipment. Um, have you have you experimented with modelers, or you don't really see the need of it right now? As um, far as just because of the 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 portability of it. Yeah. The um the modelers they're they're great. Um. Jim uses one and he, it's a preamp and he, he puts it through, uh, the, the power amp of the Mesa boogie. Um, okay. for me, I just don't, I have a pedal board and my pedal board's set up to just like, I can plug it into any amp and I know what I'm going to get. And I'm, I'm pretty familiar right. with the different types of amps. So I know how to dial them mm-hmm. in for what I'm going for. Um, so I'm real happy just taking my pedal board and, and using whatever, you know, standard amp, if it's a boogie or a PV or a Marshall, you know, I can get along with any of those. Um, so I didn't really explore the modeling thing. It really hasn't been necessary for me. Um, but you had asked about what, you know, people might not know about, you know, traveling. Yeah. I mean, for, for instance, like, you know, having to, having to rent an amp for, for a fly out gig or whatever. I mean, are there any other, um, you know, insights for a touring band, touring band as big as Fates that you, um, you know, that people might not realize happens on the road. I think that'd be quite useful for musicians. Um, that, that's, I think the, the, uh, you know, getting a backline or renting it, that's, that's kind of standard stuff. The biggest thing that I think people, if they're not doing, if they're not touring and doing that sort of thing, um, that they don't realize is how difficult it is to fly with gear. Mm. Um, so, you know, as simple as if I'm only bringing a guitar, um, it can be quite a headache. So I could check it. Um, and some of my friends who've checked guitars have had great experiences. Some have had their guitars broken. Um, and I always try and bring mine in a hard shell carry-on case. So that's the, you know, um, being a carbon owner, they used to make mm. those uh, hard shell cases that were like form fitted. Those are yep. amazing for carrying on because it's a hard shell case, but it can fit in overhead bins. It can fit in closets. It's great. But still, sometimes you get on these flights and they, uh, you know, you're supposed to be able to carry it on, but you can't. And then you get, it ends up getting checked. And mm-hmm. at that point, you know, I've I've had... This hasn't happened to me personally, but I've, when that same scenario has played out for others that I've been flying with, guitars have shown up a day late, you know, or they go to the wrong place or just 
you know, crazy things happen. Yeah. Um, so it's always like a pretty stressful thing flying with the guitar. And mm. then my pedal board, I kind of just check it and it's in this big flight case and it's under 50 pounds. So I don't stress so much about it, but the guitar is like, it sh- it, I feel like it shouldn't be that hard, but it is yeah. like, like every time. I mean, I, I mean, you know, a pedal board's not made of wood and doesn't move with dr- drastic um, temperature changes. Right. But yeah, we're, we're not all Joe Bonamassa and can't buy a seat for the, you know, 59 Les Paul. <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> oh, so, and the, the worst part is he's my age. <laughs> anyway, but I digress. Um, yeah, that's, that's great information. Um, now, uh, your first album, moving on to your music, um, that's called Native Alien, uh, mm. to, uh, it came out in 2010 um so that that was uh if people don't know guitar nine records is uh is that still going is that still online no i've bought uh, that that shut down yeah, yeah with, i was with so disappointed CDs, when it did yeah i bought many a cd from that site um mm. in the day but um yeah so your your first album went was the best-selling album for an entire year on that site I how think, did that feel i think so yeah it it was incredible um at the time, I, that was my, I mean, that was my first release and, uh, I was working with Shred Guy Records. Um, and at that time they were doing a lot with, with artists. Um, Mm. he had some, some stuff in Guitar World magazine and, um, he, you know, the Guitar Nine thing was happening and that's, I mean, that's where I was buying music too. And a lot of people were, and, you know, to know that like, people were into it i think that's just kind of what it is it's like wow people were into this record that's pretty that's pretty yeah, awesome spe- you know especially when you have all the shrapnel catalog up there and in, you know being in england that's basically where i went because i couldn't find it anywhere else hmm. um yeah i mean going up against all those guys that, that must be seriously um you know gratifying and and kind of gives you that thing that says yeah i can actually do this i mean it, it was not a waste of time there's no imposter syndrome there it's like yeah go continue with that yeah it, it's it's encouraging for sure um mm. you know it's, it's in retrospect i can look at it and and say uh you know make all these these observations about it but in, in the moment it was just kind of really exciting you know that's mm. i mean because i i put everything I do into the music and I put everything I did into that record at the, at the time. And, um, you know, as I listen back, the production is like, eh, and, and, uh, but it was still like the music was still there. And so, sure. Like, it's just, I kind of, I, at the time, especially I was pursuing everything with just like, you know, blind enthusiasm for what I was doing. And so to, to have that, have that sort of recognition was just super exciting for me, you know, and that's, that, that's probably where, where it started and ended. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really, didn't cross my mind until now that, that there were like other, other players like the shrapnel artists, you know, being sold on that site. And Mm. um, I didn't really think about that. I was just like, oh man, cool. You know, people dig this. People like it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Hmm. You were um, a joint writer in a lot of the songs from Ray, Ray Elder's new album. So I, I want to ask how how the writing process with your own music differs from writing with Ray. Um, I mean, obviously, you, your own music is your own music, so you're pouring everything into it. Hmm. Um, so I'm sure there's some give and take in, in co-writing with someone. Like, could you could you talk to that a bit? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, first and foremost, when I do my own music, um, anything goes because it's my own music and, you know, why not? Um, but as soon as you're working with somebody else, and I think this is the case with anyone, um, you know, not anything goes and that's, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You know, you have like sort of like you have a direction that you want to go in and for Ray, um, it was always going to be his record, you know, his solo record. Um, so he had a specific direction that he wanted to go in and, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of his voice and I really liked, Oh yeah. Yeah. I really loved like the direction he wanted to go in. I liked the ideas. Um, so, 
uh, I was all about, you know, writing music that, um, or, you know, trying to write music that fit in that vein. Um, and it resonated with him enough so that, you know, there, it was the majority of the record were the songs that I had contributed. Um, mm. so yeah, it's, it's just kind of a narrowing of the scope when you're working with someone else, not, you know, I'm not just Ray in particular, but anytime you're working with someone else, you have, um, I wouldn't say limitations, but it's just you have specific direction based on either what the person wants or if you're in like a full band setting, you know, with like everybody writing, you have to consider what each person does and what they excel at mm. and stylistically and all this stuff. So um, it's nothing terribly unique, I think, but that's kind of how it differs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, the title track... I, I just love how ballsy the sound is and how simple the riff is, but how effective it is with that, you know, overlaid uh, lead part. Um, that's, that is a killer song. Oh, thank you, man. That's and it, uh, no, no problem. That's cool. That, you know, just the way the drums are a little bit syncopated. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one of my favorite tracks on the album. Definitely. Thank you so much. So. That's cool. <laughs> but yeah, going back to what you said about Ray's voice, I mean, um, you remember the gig, uh, I think it was se midway through 17 uh, when Fate's Warning played um, Brighton Musical? Oh, yes. Uh, mm. Yes, yeah, so I was standing basically right in front of you, maybe one person back. Okay. But yeah, it, it was just, um, I think that's the closest I'd been to the band. Um, I, I definitely prefer s smaller clubs standing in front of the band, the big arenas, you know, go, go see journey. And as amazing as, um, you know, Neil Sean is, it's just, there's it so much disconnection. Mm. So, but yeah, I mean that, that night you guys were on fire. So, um, just feeling how emotive, uh, Ray is with his vocals. Um, you know, I think that really transfers to this album. It, it's, it really shows everyone off. I think that plays on it. Um, now, um, did read that a fate's re releasing a new album next year or is that's the plan? Um, I can't speak on the timeline. Um, but okay. there is, I know that they're working on, on a new record and, um, it's, you know, they had not announced that they signed, uh, with metal blade records for this next release. Um, so, and I say they, because like it's, it's Jim and Ray who are writing the record, you know? Okay. Um, it's kind of how it all. I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask if you had any input, but is, uh, um, it's basically those two guys now is, is Frank doing anything or he might have a guest solo here or there or, um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what Jim has planned for it. Um, uh, you know, I'm certainly available and I'm sure Frank's available too. So whatever, whatever the music calls for, whatever he, he decides like sure. makes the most sense, you know, is, is what, what should happen, you know? So. Right. Um, so is, is, uh, just, I forgot to ask this about Ray. Are you, um, is there any plans to tour that record yet or, uh, you know, no, no plans to tour. He just from what he said publicly, like he hasn't written, he hasn't written the idea off. I don't think to like doing, you know, one-offs or whatever, um, but I know there's no, there's no plan to go out on like a, a tour, like a proper tour or anything like that. Mm. And, um, okay. I'm pretty sure his, that, yeah, his focus yeah, kind of now is shifted be... to the fates, the new fates record, I think. So. Sure. Okay. Excellent. Um, so yeah, moving on to the, um, the music industry itself. I mean, we talked a little about, about the end of, uh, guitar nine. Um, so you, you released your, your couple of albums um in the cd age let's say hmm. and then in between you know the downloads what what are your thoughts on streaming and you know how how things are shifting um well i don't i don't really know i don't really know what to think of it um i know the drawbacks and i know the benefits um and it's i mean i know that people who are who are getting a lot of plays millions of plays mm. um they're not being properly compensated 
Um, I'm not one of those people, so I, I'm I'm not gonna like wave the flag of like I need to be paid for my streams because, right? I mean, like for me, those those um, services function more as like a promotional vehicle, so people can easily find if if they just are thinking about my music and they want to check it out, they can go on Spotify for their subscription cost or whatever that they've paid to be on there, if anything. Um, and they can hear my music and I want them to, you know, mm. um, and hopefully if they, uh, are interested enough in what I'm doing, they'll look deeper into what I'm doing and, you know, maybe they'll, they'll buy a digital download or maybe I'll be on their playlist or something, you know? So, I mm. mean, that's kind of my experience with those streaming services. Um, I'm not in a place to capitalize on them, even if they were fairly compensating artists. Um, so my main thing is CDs still. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm kind of lucky because a lot of the people who are into what I'm doing want CDs. Um, so it's a pretty, it's a pretty kind of cool, unique thing. Because um, mm. I'm one of those people, like, I don't, I, I'm on Spotify just because my music is on there. So I'll like go on there to check it and see what's up. Um, but I don't have like uh, this digital catalog or anything. You know, I don't, I don't use any of those services. Um, I have a wall of CDs, you know, and I buy CDs. I just bought the new Aristocrats record, you know, mm -hmm. um, this in CD format. And it's really? in my car just on yep. rotation. So that's me. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a place for it still, I think. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the fact that you can just go in and, and find any recorded music as long as it's on there from the dawn of recording hmm. and discovering stuff that, you know, is out of print because it just, there's there's not the money to be able to have all these records in the stores at all times. Um, you know, I, I yeah, like I said, it, it has its drawbacks and it does have its uh, benefits as you said um I, I i identify with the things you just mentioned too um those are great advantages to that you know having mm. the the digital catalog online um there are stuff you can't you can't buy certain records anymore where are you going to get right. them you know exactly. you can still get them it's a beautiful thing so all right um you you um you do mention in your bio you're a fan of uh, philosophy Hmm. Uh, I was just—I was just going to ask: Are there any specific philosophies you're studying right now that are interesting? Um, I have a few books that I kind of like—I I don't really study. I'm not a student of philosophy. Um, I, I have a, a few books that I like to read for pleasure, um, just to kind of like stimulate my mind. Um, but I'm always—I keep kind of like a little uh, a little journal, if you will, of uh, ideas I come up with. And one of one of my ideas is is that most of philosophy is kind of just BS because it's not really it's just <laughs> someone's ideas, you know. It's not really right. uh, fact or fiction or anything, you know. So um, most of what I write down in that book is probably BS, but it's uh, it's stimulating for me to kind of like um, think about the world and try and. Uh, uh, kind of like sum it up in a very concise way, either figuratively or, um, you know, just anyway. Um, and then I, I, I try and keep track of those ideas and it's, it's, uh, it's been good for like, like, you know, personal development, I think. Um, sure. It's not just, you know, things about me or anything like that. It's not like a diary sort of thing. It could be about, uh, you know, nature you know, society or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated sure. with those sorts of ideas and expressing mm. them in very concise ways that can be understood and communicated, you know? Right. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely, um, have running commentaries, you know, just, I don't, I don't necessarily write stuff down unless I hit upon something that I really want to get out. Um, but just making sense of patterns I see in, in life and, you know, as you said, society in general or, or ideas here and there, um, but how, how much is there any of that stuff actually crept, crept into your music at all or? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, most of my songs are based on some of the ideas that I've, 
I've uh, I've kind of come up with. Um, e, uh, my latest record, um, ESO, is uh, the whole concept is on um, this sort of idea that a lot of what kind of it's 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 hard to explain, but a lot of what we experience is uh, kind of like residue of what came before. Um, mm. and, and that's not just, you know, very concrete things. It's not just the tangible things. It's the things that you can't put your finger on the things that you can't really, um, explicitly describe the things that you just sense, the things that you feel. Um, I mean, even if you're just going for a hike and you're in an area where there are you know, different rock formations and things. And you're just looking at it, you're thinking it's beautiful. But and 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 you're you're appreciating it for what it is. But all of those things tell such a rich history of what happened in that space before you oh, were sure. there. Yeah. So that whole idea is my approach to like kind of understanding what my songs mean. Um, and that's the whole concept of ESO. It's echo source emission. Echo so like, source emi I was going to ask you what, where that came from, but yeah, that basically explains it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I see so you, you're not only talking about, um, you know, the history of like rock formations and, and the natural landscape, but, um, I do, I do definitely think that, uh, and I think there's been studies about, um, like tr dramatic events or, or really, big events being carried through in people's DNA. So mm. I don't think, um, you know, deja vu, I don't really think is a unexplained per se phenomenon. I think it's just us, um, you know, part of it could be remembering stuff from our childhood and our brain stores that information, but part of it could easily be a couple of generations before seeing something similar. And, you know, you, you'd never be able to, you know, really prove it conclusively, but I definitely think stuff like that exists. Um, so yeah, that, I agree. That's, um, that's, that's a great. rabbit hole right there. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't think this podcast is the right place. Um, going back to guitars though, on your second CD, you've got the, um, on the cover you have, that was a custom guitar with a blue, um, square pattern. Yeah. Yeah, if you could uh, tell me about that guitar, because that's pretty interesting. Sure, yeah. Um, that was uh, a Rick Haynes guitar, um, and I still have it. Uh, it's a company based in Indonesia. Um, it's not, I mean, they, they were like luthiers in Indonesia who started a company making relatively high-end guitars. Um, mm. And I got involved with them through my friend Chris Bickley, who's personal friends with the... Um, uh, the owner, uh, Tommy. And, um, mm -hmm. so they actually did a sign that was a signature guitar for me, which is kind of crazy because, you know, we were talking about like, you know, earlier streams and all this stuff. I mean, I'm not exactly, uh, as far as, you know, a name, like a, a, sig a signature level artist, but they wanted to do that. And it was, it was really kind of a special thing, you know? Um, and so they, they kind of designed that gra I kind of, left it open i said you know graphically something fun and kind of like you know impressionistic and and uh artistic and um they had a, a guitar called the cubics which was kind of like it kind of felt like one of those throwback uh ibanez picasso guitars um okay but it wasn't the picasso design it was it was just like triangles and um, so i asked them to do like a variation on that and they they sent me that guitar and it was it was killer it was beautiful guitar, um, mm. so yeah, that was the guitar I played for the most part on the Life Symbolic record and all of the Darkness in a Different Light tours that I did with Fate's Warning. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I I'm not still really playing I still have it I still it's a very sentimental guitar I'd never get rid of it but tonally there were like a couple things that I'd um, I couldn't quite work out or rectify with what the tone was that I'm going for. Um, so I don't still play it. And the company actually doesn't really even, to my knowledge, exist anymore. Um, mm. They kind of, they exist, but they're not really doing anything. Um, so uh, 
that's why that's kind of just been not, you know, I haven't uh, been able to like get a hold of another guitar that kind of like fixed any of these things I was, I was trying to um, go for. Um, so I kind of went back to playing my Carvins and they've just been amazing. You know, Oops. Mm. that's where I'm at. <laughs> nice. It's a great company. I mean, I, I, um, yeah, like I said, I love mine. Um, but yeah, going back to the darkness in a different light tour, I saw you at the Palladium. I mentioned this before. Um, and that's where I discovered Mindset X and became friends with Steve, the singer who's, um, on the podcast and they're actually playing. I know this, this probably won't get published beforehand, but they're actually playing at jewel this Saturday. Hmm. Um, with, with another guest tester who are an awesome band too. So very cool. Yeah. If you're in New Hampshire, definitely check them out. Okay. Um, what would you say a very big setback in your life would be and what maybe who, who would you have learned from it? I don't know. Anytime things happen, I always try to make sure that I come out of it um, in a positive, constructive way. Um, but as far as uh, a life-changing event, that's something I can kind of get into. Um, in 2014, I had, uh, a heart surgery. Um, and that was, it was a pretty serious thing. Like if I didn't, I had been aware of the situation, doctors have been monitoring the situation for years. Um, you know, so it wasn't like an emergency or anything, but Mm -hmm. you know, I I probably wouldn't still be here if I didn't have the surgery done. Um, and so, you know, just, I think just going through all that kind of makes you think about things a little differently you know it reassesses like what you what you value and the things that you are willing to get flustered about or willing to Mm -hmm. you know invest your energy in so because you're you're like well i i could not be here right now but i am (laughs) yeah so i mean that's a that's kind of an event that was kind of i would say pivotal for me and in ways that weren't musical you know sure so Wow. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's yeah, it's great. I mean, and then uh, on the, on the positive side, you know, what, I mean, we talked about your first CD being, you know, selling really well. Um, is there another like win you'd say contributed to, uh, pushing you in the direction of music as a, as a living? Um, no, no, not, not any one thing. Um, I was, there's, it's worth going into the backstory here because when I did that record, I did it while I was uh, uh, teaching. I was a classroom teacher. I was teaching mathematics, mm-hmm. and that's as you okay. you know my degree was in. Um, and so I was doing that record um, and put that out when I was still in the classroom, um, and then I had just kind of gotten other opportunities to do music. Like I had joined, um, the band Aquanet that you mentioned earlier. And that's been, that's, that was 2008. I think I joined that band. That's been like one of my main, you know, sources of, of my income. Um, and so you just kind of, you get to a point where you, I mean, some people pursue certain careers because they're lucrative. Um, I, music is not one of those careers. <laughs> you don't pursue music because it's <laughs> lucrative. Um, sure. I decided to just focus on just doing music and, and leave the classroom because, um, it was much more fulfilling to me. And that's not to mm. say that teaching isn't fulfilling, but I think, you know, being a classroom teacher and in the United States and seeing a lot of the things that was happening, um, I, I had this beautiful thing with music that I wanted to just focus my time on instead. And, focus my life on instead and I had the opportunity to so I just wanted to do that and um, that's kind of how I ended up where I am now that's awesome yeah I mean it, it, music and, and art in general is just something you have to follow as a passion and you know just because it fulfills you, you if if you're doing it for money it's you're just not doing it for the right reasons yes it's, it's just one of those things that you have to have to love the process mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest things um and i think we've kind of gone over this already a little bit but i mean just just for the sake of uh finishing it out what what does music actually mean to you 
music? But that's a weighted question. <laughs> that's the point. That's a weighted question. I could talk to you all night about that. Um, day in and day out, this the best way I can answer that, um, whether it be if I'm just practicing or playing a show or writing a song or anything, music for me is about creating a moment. Um, and when, when I say a moment, it's, it's like one of those aha moments, except it's, mm. it's something, it's not like a, a intellectual thing. It's something you feel, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm always, I'm always trying to do that. Um, if I'm playing live, everything I do is to create the opportunity to have a moment, you know, with the music where it's all just, it's just perfect. And it, it means something to me. It means something to the people around me. Um, if I'm writing a song or I'm, you know, improvising a solo or something, that's the, that's the thing I'm chasing. That's what I'm trying to, um, create. And so that when you get that, it's not, it, it's, it's not something you say, Oh, I can do that. It's, it's like, it's something you keep pursuing. It's almost like a, mm. I'm, it, it's almost like a religious experience, although I'm not religious, but that would be something sort of like that, I guess, you know, um, it's, that's what music is for me, I guess, you know? Um, so it's, it's a cool thing. I don't know if any of that makes any sense. But. <laughs> for, for me, it totally does. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's just a, um, it's just something that you, you, so when I, I did a, a one art course and I read a book called, uh, uh, drawing on the right side of your brain and it teaches you to, get rid of or like distract your logical part of the brain and go into that, you know, uh, flow state. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. and I think playing music does that. I think that's when people talk about, you know, connecting with other musicians in a, you know, it, we're all becoming one as a band or, or however you're playing. I think, you know, intellectually, I think that's what you're doing. You're, you're going into your right side of your brain outside of time because our, our left brain is the timekeeper um and i think you just end up going into that flow state and if you're if you're really s submissive to the to the that side of the brain i think you just um that's that's that elation you feel when you play music mm. so yeah absolutely that's a great way of describing it too yeah i like that so well great well i i'm really appreciate you taking the time um what uh where can people find you on on the interwebs uh the easiest place to start is just my website it's uh michaelabdow.com um and then i can be i can be found on facebook uh under mike abdow um okay and instagram is michael abdow with the underscore between the name um mm -hmm. but yeah if you if you start at the the dot com everything's accessible through there so excellent have you got any um gigs coming up that you want to plug um i don't know i i have i have a couple <laughs> gigs this weekend one is this new place on friday it's like this newer club i don't have all the details about it yet um it's in worcester um, okay and then saturday is down at uh this place called bleachers it's like a sports bar like a sports metal sort of bar in uh mm -hmm. bristol connecticut uh, okay yeah that's saturday and then those that's with aquanet so uh if you go to a show like that you're gonna hear 80s music and you're gonna hear me play a lot of notes and you know just have a good time so <laughs> from the i i haven't managed to see you live but uh with that band um but from the videos i i um I have seen it's it's really pro, you know really professional it's not your regular you know regular bar band that's not that great <laughs> you know <laughs> well, it's thanks, it, thanks. I can see I can see why you make you know a good living at that cuz it's it's really top notch thank from you what I've seen so thank you you're very welcome um 
Well, cool. And what I like to do at the end of the show is just play a piece of music from the artist I'm interviewing. Um, so what would you like to play? Uh, do you have Apple in the Sky from ESO? I, I can I can definitely download it. Yep. It's a it's a it's a little long. Um, but that's okay. There's always uh, the Alexandria that is leaving from from ESO record too. I, I, I like I like Apple in the Sky. I I think uh, you know we've talked about Prague a lot, so we're gonna get a uh, a full on Prague masterpiece there. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Well, anyway, yeah. Thank you again, and uh, you know I hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, anytime, Simon. My pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thanks again to Mike for the chat, and thank you again for listening. Definitely let me know if you have any suggestions for the show in terms of either guests or subject matter or even just things you'd like to hear or things you don't want to hear quite as much. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. Here is Apple in the Sky by Mike Abdel. <laughs>